1: Well, let's begin today with the end. More specifically, uh, let's begin today with endings. What's the best ending of all time? Now, you may not consider yourself a movie buff, right? But I was doing some research this week on uh, a, a list I found compiled of the top 30 movie endings of all time There's nothing worse than a bad ending to a movie. Can can I get an amen on that? You're watching it, it's good, and then it ends. And every now and then, I don't go to the theater a lot, haven't been in the theater a lot, but there was one movie, I can't remember what it was, but it ended and the person in front of me, just even, they were just, what? I mean, they just said that out loud, like that's it, right, right? So you know what I'm talking about. But what about the best Endings. The best endings all time. I wonder what would make your list. And if you are a movie buff, you might recognize a few. On this top 30 list I found, there's some classics there. Classics mean if you're a little bit younger in the room, you might have to go home and research these a little bit if you're not familiar. Like uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. That made the list. Some of you remember that. Gone with the Wind. Yeah, okay. Um, Some of you remember Rocky 2? That made the list. I've gotten that a few times in my life. Thank you very much. Uh, that made the list. There was at least one Avengers movie, so it might be some Avengers fans in the room. But the number one ranked movie, I wonder if you could guess what it is. It's a classic. It's a classic. The number one ending all time is Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Here's the description, and again, maybe you haven't seen it, so I'm not going to give away the ending for you. But this is the description. It's a movie from the 60s, right? It says, it's the most powerful movie ending of all time, not just because it's the perfect ending for a sci-fi movie made in the late 60s when the country was in turmoil and a sweet ending just wasn't in the cards, but because to this day it still has a strong shock effect. So maybe you can disagree with that. It's not my opinion. Uh, don't email me or write me letters, right? It's just, I just found it, planet of the apes. But here's the truth. The end brings clarity, doesn't it? The end brings clarity. The end reveals what truly matters. The final scene, the final word, right? It, it, it gives clarity, And as you think about a good story, and maybe you're not a movie, maybe you're a book person, right? So you can identify with that. You're waiting for those last pages and and the final word brings clarity, right? That final scene, the final chapter shows what's really important. Well, what about the end of a lifetime? What about the end of a lifetime? Uh, At the end for many can be filled with a lot of things. Maybe some questions at the end of a lifetime, some hurt or pain, But for many, there's incredible clarity. And and I just know this from the few that I've gotten the journey with as they, in our our church family, as they near the end, there's incredible clarity in those moments. There's wisdom that they want to share in those final moments. They want to gather people around that they love. And there's a few last things they want to tell them, right? Uh, Or there's relationships they want to mend. Maybe these relationships always mattered, but in these final moments, this clarity that they wanna, they wanna reconcile these relationships. Why? Because the end brings, brings clarity. And, and it's true, the same was true for the Apostle Paul. Uh, we are in a series called Living the Jesus Life, as you can see on the screen. And we are in week two of a long journey through the book of Philippians. And here's the truth. We believe that this letter, it was written by Paul to the church in Philippi, but we believe this letter provides incredible insight on what it means to live the Jesus life today. That the reality of Jesus changes how we live. It changes. His death and resurrection changes how we live. And this letter, this letter of Philippians shows us, reveals to us how, how we live in response to the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so today we're gonna to turn to Philippians chapter one. If you were with us last week, that's not shocking to you. We, you know, this is where we're gonna be, Philippians. But as we turn there, we remember Paul is writing from prison. This is one of a few letters that he wrote specifically from prison. So he's in prison, and here, he's reflecting on his life, and he is on the verge of possible death. He is very aware that in just a moment, with a snap of a finger, his life could be over. And so because of that, he has, he has some incredible clarity. Be- because, because the end is near, it's a possibility at any moment his life could be over. There's, there's unusual clarity he has. As he writes these words, and so as you're reading through Philippians one, verses twelve through eighteen, he's kind of speaking about this idea of God working as he's in prison, and what he believes the gospel is being proclaimed. But we're going to pick it up in verse nineteen, starting uh, Philippians one, verse. 19. And I saw, I saw one person, bless my soul, I won't say who it is. As I was greeting some people this morning, he already had his Version Bible event open. That blessed my soul. So if you're U Version Bible uh, user uh, app on your phone, we have an event set up there with some notes and things like that. It's a great resource available to you week after week. But let's begin now in verse 19. This is Paul writing from prison. For I know that through your prayers, who's the your here? It's the church in Philippi their prayers right so through your prayers and god's provision of the spirit of jesus christ what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance again so he's writing from prison and he's saying that your prayers philippians your prayers your partnership in the gospel and the holy spirit uh, the ministry of the spirit what's happening now in my life. And again, he's shackled, he's chained, he could die any moment, but it's going to lead to victory. That's a remarkable statement, isn't it? It goes on to say this in verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I'll have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So there's an incredible hope that he has, right? And a hope that's not going to lead to shame, that no matter what happens in these moments, again, this is incredible clarity as he faces the end. No matter what happens, the Lord's going to be magnified, glorified, lifted up through his life, whether by life or by death. Can I say that? Whether by life or by death, could you could you honestly say that in your life? That's where Paul is at. That's the incredible clarity he has. And everything that he's saying up to this point, and really the focus of this particular passage is really found in, in these next 12 words or so, right? Uh, look with me in verse 21. This is really the climax of this portion that Paul is writing. Look at what it says. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. I wonder if you could say that with me. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that you're awake, try it one more time. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's really what he's saying. Everything that he's kind of set up to this point is, is really this: to live as Christ and to die as gain. Let's look at this in two parts before we finish the rest of the passage. First, next slide, to live as Christ. What, what is Paul saying here? Paul found his life in Christ, his identity, his purpose. Yes, eternal life one day, that's true. But Paul. Paul finds joy. That's a theme throughout Philippians. He finds incredible joy in knowing Christ. It's safe to say that that Paul's life found its ultimate meaning in Christ. So if Paul lives, he gets to live serving Christ. He gets to live pleasing Christ. For Paul, life is Christ. To live is Christ. He's just reached that point in his life. What we're living his life is living passionately for Christ. And so to live is Christ. But now we look at the second part, right? To die is gain. To die is gain? What? (laughs) That's not right. We fear death. Death is the end. What is Paul talking about? To die is gain. Well, again, because Paul finds his ultimate meaning in Christ, in relationship with Christ, then death is not ultimately the end of this life. It's, it's a doorway to eternal life with Christ. And so Paul has such a peace. Again, he is facing his death. He is facing what could likely be the end. But even in the midst of that, he has incredible peace. His ultimate concern, his most precious possession, both now and forever, is his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if he lives... That's great. He gets to live for Christ. But if he dies, even better, <laughs> he gets to go and be with Christ. So for Paul, it's a no-lose situation, just like it is for anyone, anyone who has surrendered to Jesus Christ. To live is Christ. and To die is gain. He continues. Let's finish the rest of this passage together. Uh, verse 22. If I am to go on living in the body... This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body so convinced of this. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Jesus Christ may abound on account of me. The reality is this, that if you are in right relationship with Christ, and if you missed last week, that's what we talked about. That's what we focused on, that we can be in right relationship with Christ. We can, because of the righteousness of God, we can be in right relationship, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us. And the truth is, if you are in right relationship with God, with your heavenly father, you don't have to fear anything, even death. Listen to what D.L. Moody says. This is really good. You, you might've heard this before. One of the most famous quotes from D.L. Moody. He said, someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Norfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am right now. True life, eternal life is beautiful. And if you are in right relationship with your heavenly father, that can be your reality. You can live your life with that just assurance that you don't have to be afraid. You have, you know, even death, you don't have to be afraid because you're trusting, you're trusting in the God who is with you. And ultimately, one day you'll get to be with him in heaven. So there's another important tension, though, that Paul is addressing here. Because as believers in Christ, it's not wrong to long for heaven. In fact, the older I get, the easier it is to long for heaven. I want to be there. I want to go there. I'm kind of, A, because there's people I love that are there. But also, the longer I live in this world, the more I realize that this world is not really my home. This is not really what I was ultimately creating. There's always this longing within me. Because I know, I know that there's far much more that we're than what this world can offer so of course we long for heaven, heaven where, where we, every tear will be wiped away. There will be no more fear. We were created to be in eternity with our heavenly father. So of course we long for that, but it's a mistake. It's a mistake to live this life only longing for that. And many believers miss that. In fact, some build an entire theology around that. That this idea that once we're in relationship with Christ, you just survive, survive and get through. Put your head down, get through this miserable, cruel, awful world until one day you get to be with him for eternity. And doing that is a very short-sighted look at what it means to live the Jesus life. And Paul, he notes that because for Paul to live is Christ. To live as Christ. It's not just about experiencing eternal hope one day. There's hope today because of the life of Christ living in us, living through us. There's life today that he wants us to experience. There's life today that he wants us to share with those around us. And so we cannot only long for an eternal hope one day. We, we are to experience his life and his hope today, now, in these moments in these days. It's about God's glory here and also his ultimate glory in eternity. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what that's what Paul is saying. One of the most famous verses in Philippians, Philippians 1:21. But the truth is, for many, even believers, even some of us who have gathered here this morning, even some who are who are watching online with us today, the truth is for many these words are not true not for us i mean they're true god's word is true but in our lives it's not true because instead of to live as christ for many it's more like to live is me not to live as christ to live is me because far too often me is our main motivation me is our primary motivation Even those who claim to know Christ, living for me, serving me, only caring about me, a life lived for me, a person, a person who only cares what's in it for me, a person who will care for others or love others or serve others, but only to a certain extent if it doesn't inconvenience me, If it doesn't cost me too much, because that, and that's, that's the world in which we live. That's the culture in which, where we worship me. Everything revolves around me and my comfort and what feels good and what make, brings me happiness in this moment. Me, 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 me. That's, that's the primary motivation for many, but sadly, even within the church. We live for me. It's really, Philippians 1.21 really is a question of who is Lord of your life. Because if me is Lord, then Philippians 1.21 can never be a reality to live as Christ. But if he is Lord of your life and you are in Christ, then and only then is it true that to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is to experience more of him, to be filled with more of him. Look, uh, Paul writes to to another church in Corinth. We read it later in the scriptures, and and he says it this way. You don't belong to yourselves, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says. You don't belong to yourselves anymore. And when he's saying that, he's not describing this hostile takeover where the Lord kicks open the door of your life and, and arrests everybody, right? That's not what he's describing. But he's speaking passionately about what happens in our hearts when we truly surrender to the lordship of Christ is we don't live a me first life anymore. We live for him. We live to serve him and to love him and to go where he would have us go and how he would have us serve even when it's inconvenient to me. What he would have us do even when it's not always what I wanna do. It's not, a, it's not a miserable existence. It's not a, yes, Lord, whatever you want to do, and I live this joyless life. But it's, it's finding true joy in fulfillment by surrendering, not living according to the flesh, according to me, me, me all the time, but instead finding true joy in the surrender of trusting him to lead your life instead of always having to be in control, which, by the way, you're not really in control anyway. The bottom line today, the thing I want you to know from Philippians one today is this, that living the Jesus life means that your life is in his hands one way or another. No matter what happens, no matter what's happening today, no matter what's coming tomorrow, that the uncertainty of tomorrow does not change the reality that your life is in his, his hands. Not your own hands. His hands. That's, that's what the Apostle Paul is describing, living this Jesus life. We live such a surrendered reality that our, we place ourselves. He, he doesn't take it from us. He doesn't kick down the door and say, "You're my." No, no, no. We lovingly, through obedience, place ourselves in His hands, our faithful and trustworthy Lord, and we say, "I'm placing myself in your hands." To live is Christ and to die, yes, even that I consider gain because I'm trusting you. You're in control and I'm not. I don't have to be. I trust you to be Lord of my life. So what does it take to get to that point Some of you, as as I describe that, you think, man, that's just for the really religious elite. That's for the super spiritual Christian. I could never really live that way. I could never really understand what Paul's talking about there. That's, That's Paul. He's like the superhero of the faith, and I could never get there in my life. But today, we don't read this to hold up some impossible standard. We're reading the truth that God desires for all those that would walk in obedience to Christ, living the Jesus life. And so the question is, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we get there? Such a place of surrender where our lives are in his hands no matter what comes our way. So how do we do that? How do we get to that point? Well, it takes, it takes total surrender. I was thinking this week, uh, the, the story, uh, as I was reading and studying, um, the story of the trapeze fascinates me. And that's probably not a topic you thought you'd hear about at church today. But the truth is many, many, including, uh, including Henry Nowen, have found the trapeze to be a rich metaphor of the concept of surrender. That word surrender, the word surrender uh, carries this implication of putting one's full weight on someone or something else. To surrender means putting your full weight and trust. You're leaning totally and completely, right? You're placing yourself in their hands. That's this idea, the implication of surrender. And so on the trapeze, you're literally suspended in midair. Some of you are like, (gasps) right? But you're literally suspended in midair and you're waiting to be caught. Think about that analogy. You're literally hanging in the air, waiting for someone to catch you. Some of you are like, that's incredible. And some of you are like... That's awful, right? But that's, that's the metaphor that this idea of the trapeze, and this metaphor captivated Henry Nouwen, captivated his faith to the point that at the end of his life, as an old man, when he should be retired and at home and reading books and doing crossword puzzles or whatever you want to, instead, he took a sabbatical and gave serious effort to learning the trapeze from a group of What are called flyers. That's a beautiful job description, isn't it? Flyers, right? But that's what he did. He took a sabbatical because he wanted to learn the trapeze. Not because it was some bucket list thing, but because his life in many ways was haunted by a struggle of surrender. And so he believed. He believed that that learning this would make perfect sense. And so this is a quote uh, from a book about his experience there. It says this, He, Henry Nowen, wanted to bask in the reality of the metaphor by hanging in midair and learning to be caught. His key insight was that in order to be caught safely, the people being caught must be completely still. I'm going to read that again because this is so good and so important. His key insight was that in order... To be caught safely, the person being caught must be completely still. They must surrender control, placing total trust in the catcher's ability. As Nouwen was hanging in the air, dependent on another, his faith was nourished through this tangible release of control. In order to be caught safely, the person must be still. Maybe that's a first step for some of us in living the Jesus life and living surrendered and trusting him to be Lord is choosing the posture to be still. Some of us, the posture today of our faith is is a lot of things, but it's not being still. Posture maybe, God, I know your word is true and I know what your promise says, but in that implication of but, it's, it's I got to figure this out or I don't understand or I'm confused. And it's, it's, not, it's not a posture of being still and trusting. It's a posture of kind of frenetic, frantic, I don't know. That's me in those moments. Waiting to be caught is not being still. Waiting to be caught is like, right? <laughs> I don't know how you describe that. That's how I feel sometimes. The beauty of surrender, the beauty of trusting him to be Lord is this posture of being still. Psalmist described, be still and know that he is God. Be still and know that he is Lord of your life, that he created you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. There's not a moment in your life where he hasn't been intimately desiring to be in relationship with you. There's not anything that you've done or can do that could separate you from his ferocious love for you, right? And that he is a good father. He desires to give you good things. He desires to show you good things in your life. And so when you come to that reality, you don't have to flail or push back or struggle anymore. You can just be still, and let him catch you in his loving arms. You can let him be Lord of your life. You don't have to be anymore. And the truth is what I've learned in my life is I make a terrible Lord. I make a terrible Lord of my life. I've seen the fruit. When I try to be Lord of my life, it's not good. So today you don't have to be, you can be still. And trust him to catch you in his arms. Living the Jesus life means that your life is in his hands, one way or the other. Can you say that today? Can you say that today? That to live as Christ, you're experiencing the life of Christ today, and to die, even death, even bankruptcy even disruption in your family or in relationships, the unknown of tomorrow, no matter what that blank would be for you, that you're trusting him to be Lord of your life, no matter what, that reality can only be true. That living the Jesus life can only be true when we place our lives fully in his hands. I love how uh, author and pastor Francis Chan just has a unique way of articulating God's truth, and so I found uh, these words that he's gonna share in a moment to be really captivating for me. Let's take a look.
2: You know, when most people talk about the American dream, it's, uh, it's about safety, security, you know, I wanna grow old with my kids, grandkids, have all sorts of money, and it, it's all about the here and now. So it's, it's antithetical to scripture, where Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. He didn't uh, invite the disciples into the American dream. He invited them into a a life of suffering. Um, In fact, the scriptures teach that anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So we're kind of signing up for a war. You, you, You know, the American dream versus this spiritual warfare that we're in. And so anyone that spent any time in the New Testament can see that, you know, following Christ isn't easy. In fact, the people that were begging him to follow, you know, saying, I want to follow you. Jesus says, you you sure? Because the foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Like, if you follow me, we're homeless tonight. And so you're really leaving things up in the air rather than controlling them, which is what the American dream is all about, is I have control over my life. I've got everything set up for the rest of my life that's the dream is absolute control versus absolute surrender you know when jesus called people to himself it was a call to follow him he just said follow me Um, it's implied in there clearly this sense of lordship of he's our master i go where he tells me to go that's why he asks questions like Why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? So let me let go, surrender. And this is a little scary because we're all about control. And it's like, okay, you're my new master. I've just surrendered myself to you. That's what it means. That's what baptism was. I am dying to myself. That means I'm giving up control. Francis is no longer alive. Now it's Christ who lives in me. So take me where you want me to go because I trust this is going to be a better life for me. Um, this, is, this is the way to fulfillment, that the full, abundant life that Christ talks about, which doesn't mean it's always going to be easiest. In fact, most of the time it's not. And doesn't mean that it's the most fun all of the time, because it does include pain and suffering and sacrifice. But the conclusion will always be our blessing. Even the suffering is going to be more abundant than us holding on to our lives, controlling our own lives and our destiny and saying no Jesus I surrender to you.
1: Living the Jesus life means we we surrender control. And maybe today that's that's a point of conflict in your life because you've been trying to live according to God's word, you've been trying to live in relationship with Christ, but you've been trying to live in control. And you're really frustrated. Well, you're destined for a life of frustration because you, you're trying to be Lord. You haven't really placed your life in his hands. You're, you're saying, yeah, yeah, you can be my savior, but I'm, I'm gonna be in charge, I'm gonna be Lord. But the call to live the Jesus life, to live as Christ, to die as gain is saying, you're Lord of my life. I'm gonna be still, I'm gonna trust. And that's hard, that's hard to do. For Paul, it took being chained in a Roman prison, facing death, to get that kind of clarity where he realized, all right, Lord, I trust you no matter what. I'm surrendered to you no matter what. And so today, I I don't know what you're facing and I don't know the circumstances of your past or of your present or what tomorrow you're anxious, you're fearful about, but today, would, would you trust him? Would you trust him? to bring incredible life and joy today and trust him with whatever tomorrow holds, to live is Christ and to die. Yes, even that Lord is gain because I'm I'm, I'm trusting you with my life. So I'm gonna invite you this morning, would you stand as in a minute, we're gonna respond in worship, we're gonna respond in prayer, but I'm gonna invite you to stand with me and offer uh, that prayer with your heads bowed and your eyes closed That's a simple prayer, but it's a beautiful prayer. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I choose to be still. I'm not flailing, pushing back, running. Just I'm going to choose to be still in this moment. And in the stillness of this moment, I know that you will catch me. I know that in your hands is ultimately where I want to be and where I need to be. I, I, I surrender from a me first life, living my life all for me, trying to please me, serve me. God, I, I surrender that because I want to live the life that you've called me to live, a beautiful life, a life filled with joy and purpose and peace. And that can only be found by trusting you. And so today, I, I place my life in your hands, my loving Father. And I hear the gentle voice of your spirit just reminding me to be still and know that you're God. Be still and know that you're a good father. Be still and know that you can be trusted today and you can be trusted no matter what tomorrow holds. There's no diagnosis that can overcome that's bigger than trusting you as Lord. There's no circumstance that tomorrow will come that's bigger and trusting you as Lord. And so today we choose, we choose to surrender and trust you as Lord. We believe that you hear us and we believe that you're worthy of our praise. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Church family, we're going to close today worshiping, surrendering, trusting, declaring that God is good, declaring that he is faithful. And today, maybe you didn't come in here knowing that, but maybe as we sing and as we worship today, you can just make that your declaration that he is worthy of our trust, that he is faithful and good. And so let these moments of worship and surrender be your testimony today. Let's worship together.